to Universally Speaking, the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast. My name is Ben Townsend from bentownsendmusic.net, and I'm joined, as always, by... Sam Townsend Music. <laughs> Sam Townsend from <laughs> Sam Townsend Music. And we are joined by... I'm Dan Bogosian. America is the new Coke of countries. Confirmed. Two things confirmed wow. there. Bogosian. Yes. Sorry, Dan, could you say, just say that one more time? I say Bogosian. It can also be pronounced Bogosian. as Bogosian. The way I always say it is any last name ending in I-N is Armenian. So Kim Kardashian or Serge Snackian or Cher. Same oh. formula for last name. <laughs> I think we'll take your pronunciation, given that it's your name. Bogo- Bogosian. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah, we've never yeah, said yeah, it we've, like that. We've got we, to trust you. We stick in a D, but Dan Bogmazian for some reason. <laughs> yes, I must admit. I thought I had it down, but I didn't. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell close. you, uh, my friend Brian also listens to this podcast, and I got a text the day of the Off the Map Part 1, where he was just like, love to hear British people say say your last name. I was just like, oh, I guess I, I, guess I appear. I haven't gotten to it yet, but uh, yeah. thanks, Brian, for giving me the heads up on that. <laughs> no, well, thanks for listening, Brian, as well. Yeah, great stuff. Now, this isn't just any random person. This uh, this fellow DB that we have on the podcast. I forgot I'd say the surname again. Dan Bogosian. Right, this Dan Bogosian on the podcast is no random Killing fellow. <laughs> he is, in fact, the author of a book that we can highly recommend, Red Hot Chili Peppers Frequently Asked Question, Questions, mm. All That's Left to Know About the World's Best-Selling Alternative Band. Absolutely. We all hold our copies. I have a copy in my hand. I very rarely put this book down anymore. No, I take it everywhere. Dan, you put, Dan has a copy in his hand. Free copy. Free copy a for A dog Dan. in one hand and a book in the other. It's Classic. a rough life. <laughs> Classic Dan. It really is. Now, Dan, tell us, who is Dan Bogosian? Oh, God. Where are you from? What's your history? How are you, did you get into chilies? Tell us a little bit about your history with the chilies. Okay, I'll get, I'll get, sticking to the chili peppers history is a lot easier. easier. Than like, yeah, that's easier. Yeah, okay, yeah, let's start we're, there. we're doing a two-hour podcast. I can't cover all of the life. <laughs> um, but so I, I'm from Connecticut, USA, and a small town called Bark Hampstead, um, and kind of grew up doing small-town shenanigans where it's like if you didn't go into alcohol and drugs, you either kind of found a hobby like music to make get by or you were bored all the time. Uh Several of my friends before me, I guess this will date my age. I know you guys are, I believe, slightly older than myself because I want to say on one of the podcasts you said 38 or 39. I'm not going to – don't hold me to that. I am I, I am. Because your birthday is a barbecue. That's right. Not so long ago. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm, 40, I'm 43 next week. I've just been given my birthday present from Sam and his wife. Yes. A oh. new pair of lovely Lucy Lockett leggings and some guitar-based spoons. They're quite beautiful. Mm. Sorry, gonna, I mean, you know, in my mind, you were both 39, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, Ben will be very pleased about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so to date myself, it's slightly younger than you, but still older than probably most Chili Peppers fans at this point. Um, I was not in the band when... Uh, like I guess by the way came out and several of my friends were into the band and we'd like play PlayStation two. And rather than listening to the music on Virtua fighter, we would listen to like put on by the way. And like, I hadn't heard the non hit singles. I you know, heard by the way, I heard can't stop, but I hadn't heard, you know, minor thing or Venice queen at that point. But when you're playing video games for three hours with your friends chugging mountain dews, well now I've heard minor thing and all that. Uh, and I liked it, but I wasn't like, this is my favorite band instantly. It was just like, oh, like if 
if I'm going to get into a band, maybe one day I'll get into the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then a winter or two later, Greatest Hits came out. And that, this was in the era when television advertised compilation CDs. And so I remember, even though there's only 17 songs on it, when it does that thing where it's like, suck my kiss. And it just plays eight seconds of suck my kiss with a screen ascending. There was several songs where I was like, oh, I didn't realize that was like the same the band that we've been listening to when I played <laughs> too. And so I want to say it was on my Christmas list that year, and I became like obsessed with more or less the hits. And then I guess also Fortune faded and saved the population. Uh, and then I probably knew one or like Californication, a couple other albums, but wasn't like obsessed. And then they were one of my favorite bands, but not like the all time number one. And then what happened was I started playing bass guitar. And everybody I knew was like, oh, Flea's the greatest bass guitarist. And when I didn't understand, you know, when I couldn't tell you which one's a bass and which one's a guitar, I couldn't have told you that it was great or whatever. It was just kind of like, yeah, sure. The string instruments in that band are acceptable. I don't know. And then one day I remember just being like, you know, I don't really like Give It Away, but I hear that bass line's like pretty intense. Let's listen again, just listening to bass. And I just remember being like, oh, oh my, oh my God. And like from that moment on, it was just like, and again, this is like, borderline when iTunes started that it was like, yo, I have to find one hot minute, the CD, like you go to FYE every week. I don't even have a driver's license. Like mom, take me to FYE. And you're just like, ah, oh, they still don't have one hot minute. And then one day they do. And you're like, that's what warped sounds like. And then within like three, four years, YouTube's on, and you know, stadium Arcadium comes out and I've gone so deep down the rabbit hole as you do when you're 15, 16, whatever you love at that age becomes what you go crazy for. But it's like, I was, uh, when, by the way, it was still the redhotchilipeppers.com release, the message board forums, I was the throw away your television moderator. And what I would do, I was a corrupt moderator. I think I mentioned this in like the prologue of the book, but I might not. But I was a extremely corrupt moderator where I had, was charged. I had to take down every link to unauthorized material. If you posted a B-side, I had to take it down. If you posted a music video, I had to take it down. But I download it first. And then I took it down. So everything that was getting shared illegally, I would get. And, and then, no, then, and then, then, then I was and make sure that no one else could get it. No. Yeah. And then when, similarly, when they did the iTunes bonus tracks, me and a couple other people, it was for one, it was after the Stadium Arcadium release. So it was the Stadium Arcadium forums. I was no longer the moderator. But me and a couple other people that I was friends with from when I was a moderator, it was like, yo, let's not each spend 15 bucks getting this album. Like, let's spend, I'll spend 15 on, by the way, you spend 15 on Californication and so forth. And we'll all trade. And I host that on my band's website. If you remember, uh, like under the bed.net or something stupid like that. I know uh, you talk about Hamish a lot. Hamish like, was like, wait a minute, are you UTB Dan? And I was like, it's so insane to me that you recognize like my high school band ultimate guitar.com username. And he was like, of course you hosted the, the bonus tracks. And I was like, Oh shit. Like I didn't realize that was like, a thing. And he was like, well, amongst like the 45 people who hunted for him, like that was a thing. And I'm just like, yeah. And like, so I, it was funny that I got banned from the official forums while I was a moderator. So they banned me, but they <laughs> still, my account still worked and I still had authority. It was just like, I'm not going to tell anyone about this. And then they switched over to stadium Arcadium and it was like, well, it's a new account and it's not the same. The forum kind of died and then stadium Arcadium that all that shit. But there was a glorious window there where I was a, a corrupt king. Oh, you, wow. yeah, you, were, you, you became an exiled king. <laughs> yes. That was, that was not allowed in the kingdom, but still had access to the kingdom. <laughs> nice. So it, it sounds like you, so you discovered them, became a bit more of a musician, 
and then started to appreciate them more and then got pretty like heavily involved quite quickly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, again, cause it's all like age timing where it's just like when you're 14, 15, it was like, Oh, I really like this band, but I don't know that much. And then I became like, this is my favorite band. And then it was like, even in Total you know, now I can play, I can play drums. Okay. I can play guitar. It's no longer just purely about the musicianship, but if it, I'm sure it comes from the book where like Anthony Kiedis is not in my mind, the strongest member of the band. Uh, that's been true from the start for me. That was not like, Oh, what about the harassment allegations or all this? It was kind of like, no, yeah, he's always been the weak link. He's core piece of the band. You can't just be like, what? I, I, I don't want to say I hate it, but there's often times when people are like, oh, like, I'm sure you've seen that online too. Like, form your favorite band, pick a guitarist, a vocalist, a drummer, a bassist. And then I hate when, like, people are like, the Chili Peppers are the instrumentalists. And it's like, Chris Cornell on vocals. I'm like, that band wouldn't work. I mean, like, yeah, it would be like a better vocalist, but like, what would Cornell sing over Can't Stop? Like, the fact that he's a, not an amazing vocalist. He, he's the right puzzle piece, even if he's like the weak link in the chain. So I don't, I'm not a hater of Anthony Kiedis. It's just funny that like, yeah, no, I'm in terms of like my musicianship appreciation. It's it's still ultimately like the, the driving factor in the car of my chili peppers. Yeah. yeah. I love what you were saying there, Dan, about like the Swan isn't necessarily the strongest singer, but he is the jigsaw piece that fits in that. Well, he's the chess piece that fits on that particular chessboard. Isn't That's it? a very Anthony Kiedis way of putting it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, if Baron Munchausen were to ejaculate uh, <laughs> a singer, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he definitely is. But in, in, interestingly, as Dan was saying, uh, you know, his his sort of way in was through the music. For me, it was the Swan. It was you know, you he, yourself on be, Swan. being you know being someone who was in bands as a singer and find and discovering the Chilies. Like he was for me, he was just like a total god. As you can see, this man muddled himself on the squad. Yeah. They're, they're I mean, he's somewhere, got the same muscular body. It's perfect, somewhere along the line, the model well, went pe- badly wrong. The people at home don't realize both of them are shirtless right now. Yeah, and, that's oh, exactly. The, the Kiedis and, abs no. are popping. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm wearing a Halloween-themed T-shirt. So. So, well, it is Halloween. Or so I'm, yeah, I'm reliably not, I'm informed. Not, I know no, we were talking about horror movies. I did notice the Shining T-shirt. Yeah, we'll get to the, that horror movie list. I'm looking forward to talking about horror films. So yeah, like, I, I went straight in on Kiedis. And then actually over the years, I, I began to slowly realize that in fact, he was, and now I completely accept that he is really the weakest member, um, whilst being totally perfect for the for the job. But definitely, my, I, I came from it the other way. And now I totally appreciate the musicianship. And yeah. So, and yeah I, by all means, I don't think Anthony Kiedis is like bad either it's just that he's surrounded by chad smith flea and, and john frusciante and even when it was uh, josh Klinger or, or dave navarro was still just like you know both those guys have been on the cover of the cover of guitar world separately i'm not one of those guys who's like oh josh's era i'm not like that i have so much love and respect for josh but it's just funny to me where it's like yeah, I mean, if you're going to be in that band and you're you're not going to be like a virtuoso instrumentalist, you're probably going to be the weakest link. Just the nature <laughs> of the beast. Yeah, and I'd just like to say, in case this one's listening, love you, love your work, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but rumor has it he does listen, uh, but that is just a rumor. Well, if he does listen, that's why he's not followed us on Twitter yet. Yeah. <laughs> really fucking pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if he listens, I'm confident he's not going to be buying my book. <laughs> oh, Anthony, please buy the book. He'll tell you everything that you've forgotten. Yeah, exactly. 
He, more than anyone, has probably got a lot of questions about what's yes. happened. <laughs> and this book, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Frequently Asked Questions, All That's Left to Know About the World's Best-Selling Alternative Band, will answer those questions. It certainly does. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you guys, uh, when Flea had his book tour last year, pretty much at this time or maybe a little earlier, whatever, I, I think it was October last year, um, like I, I drove to Brooklyn to go to his book release party. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not, it's like, I'll hang out with Flea. It was like a question and answer section, autograph copy. Cool, man. And I also got sent an advanced copy in the, uh, to potentially interview Flea. And then I never ended up interviewing him, but it was still just like, I read the book before it came out. So I, it's like the day of the release and everybody's like, I can't wait to read it. I'm like, I've already read it. I'm like, you know, trying to be a cocky little jerk. Uh, but then when they do the Q and a section, I was like, you know, like I, I didn't say I wrote the book, but it's like having wrote that book, like I've read, pretty much every interview they did from like 1995 to 2010 or whatever. I may have missed some in the most recent years. Some of the early ones are hard to find, but the, the juicy 10 years of internet. Oh, I, I saw it. I'm, you know? And so there, at some point Flea was like, I started reading scar tissue and then it got to the part where Anthony has sex with my sister and I, I just put it down. I couldn't read it. And so it was like open question time. And I raised my hand and they called on me and I'm like, you said before you started reading scar tissue and then you put it down because it got too hard. Did you ever finish reading it? And do you expect Anthony Kiedis to read this? And Flea was just kind of like, no, I never read it. I have no interest in reading it. I realized that it's like, that's Anthony's personal experiences and I don't want to bring up old feelings. We're in a good place. There's no need to get into that. And similarly, I'm not going to give him a copy of my book. If he wants to read it, that's fine, but it's about my personal experiences and that should be that. I just thought it was like a very, he answered it very delicately, not so much politically, but it was just funny where it's like you could even see in the moment his facial reaction was just kind of like, yeah, you guys, you don't really like it when he slept with your sister. <laughs> That's a, still a sore point. What we've done here is we've reduced our six degrees of Kevin Bacon right down. We're now one person away from Flea. So thank, thank <laughs> you, sir. It's, it, yeah. it's, it's wonderful. Well, I, I like to do that with uh, I'm super good at that with like musicians and bands and the Chili Peppers are a great band, as I'm sure, you know, first six degrees of separation or Kevin Bacon, because I mean, because of police studio work, Chad studio work, and then because of not just John studio work, but the nature of having 75 guitarists, it's just kind of like, oh, <laughs> Sanders Lodge, he played with Alanis Morissette and stuff, too. And it's just like, how did what? That's kind of that's crazy. Well, I refer you to page 343 of your own book, Dan. <laughs> Point four, <laughs> they can connect to almost any band in six degrees of separation. So, That's true. <laughs> this I is think true. I can connect myself to them within a few, but I don't remember the quickest path. But I believe I've done it. It can be done. Well, that's impressive. Talk to us about work collaborating, because especially we have a, 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 a wonderful ambassador, Hamish Duncan from RHCP Sessions Archive, who I know you credit in the book as being a big help. How did you guys link up? How, how did he help you? Because he's been incredibly helpful to our podcast. And uh, hey, Hamish, he's, you know, he's out there in Oz. One of, the, one of the first ambassadors from the get-go was a huge supporter. Yeah. Um, uh, how did you guys I'm link assume up? It's gonna be similar. I'm going to assume it's similar to probably how he linked up with you, where you follow him on Twitter and then he follows back. And then at some point he realizes what you're doing and it just kind of like either tweets at you or DMs you and it's just like, Hey, like how may I be of assistance? Like it's all on him. I didn't like go to him and was like, Oh God, help me. I'm dying. I'm struggling. It was kind of like, <laughs> as I was writing the book, 
I was tweeting about it and I, the way I wrote the book was like, I got the assignment and it was more or less, I had like a year to do it. And I was doing about a chapter a week uh, with some exceptions. And then towards the end, it was like, all right, we got six weeks and I have 14 chapters. I'm going to double up this week. And then there's like one day where you're just like, I'm off work this week. I'm writing six chapters today and then I'm rewriting it over the weekend. And it becomes like a, you get in the zone of just like, dude, how are things? And it's like, oh, Xander Slosh never even played the gig with him, but it's, they flew him out to Australia. That's so crazy. Why would that happen? And they, he's, they say he played guitar with that other band, but he played bass in that band. And it's, it's just wild that he played it. And it's, you just become this like weird zoned out freak about one thing. And so especially in that weird zoned out freak area, I'm sure if you go back to my tweets from like June, 2018, it's probably all me being out of my mind and also about the red hot chili peppers where it's just me being like, I've decided the best pickup is the neck pickup on a 61 telecat. Like who would, you know what I mean? Like even if your guitarist, it's like, Oh, he's kind of off the deep end right now. And it's just me with like, my headphones on listening to just, you know, on Mercury on repeat for three hours as I write the by the way chapter or something. Uh, and Hamish is just like DM like, Hey man, I see you writing the book. If you need any help, like let me know. And I'm just like, Oh, well, I mean, I could, I need a lot of help. Like well, how much, <laughs> and it's not, he didn't do any writing or anything, but it'd be like, you know, I had to replace this photo with a different one. And he would go find like this is the photo, this is the photographer, this is their email. And they'd be like, wow. And they'd be like, I have this press photo. I'm pretty sure I can use the press photos, but there's no credit photographer. I want to confirm it. And he'd be like, well, I have the physical press photo from blood sugar, six magic. And it's by this guy. And I'd be like, Oh, well, thank you for having the press release in print from 1991. Cause I don't, I was three. It wasn't going to happen for me. I, you know, I just didn't realize that was a thing that could be found on eBay so easily. And just stuff like that. where like, it's almost like he was like an assistant or like a secretary at times. And it was just unpaid and just purely because he loves the chili peppers. And that's why, like, you know, it wasn't like I set out trying to write a book and like special thanks, dedication, like mom, my friend Tara, my friend Emma, my friends from the QC and, and Hamish. It was kind of like handing the book and it was like, I really got to thank Hamish. And then I think the other side I really credited was the side.free.fr, which I don't even think it gets updated anymore. But not only in terms of access to like the tour history, but also in terms of when I was spiraling into my obsession with the chili peppers as a teenager, 15, 20 years ago, uh, that was the site I went to like, Oh, like I don't recognize this live chili pepper song. That's not a chili pepper song. What is it? And they're like, well, the cover list that's, you know, if you got funk, you got soul by, by Funkadelic. And it's like, Oh, what's what's funkadelic you know like and how like in terms of my musical taste branching out from the root of the chili peppers tree the side was more just like i wanted to throw that in there too just because i 15 year old me would be lonely without it mm. i think we we also wondered how the hell do you you've you've touched on it there about the size of the task and the the, the fact that the band is so convoluted in its history how do you even start doing what you did at, it boggles my mind that you've taken yeah. such a convoluted history and actually made sense of it in such a well in such a well constructed way. And I think we'll talk about the the layout of the book as well. Mm. But how do you a how did you get the commission? And b how the hell did you start writing? What right. did you do? What's the process? And c so yeah. was there was there ever a time when you thought that you'd maybe bitten off more than you could potentially chew? <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, uh, so I'll answer that question first. And the answer is yes. Probably there's like a four month period of the 12 months I had to write it where, you know, like every, like just write it. Like I told you, I was writing a chapter a week and you would write that chapter and you'd be like, just 49 left. Oh, and so the, especially that starting out to the early mid area was like, this is hell. I love this band, but this is just way too much. I don't know why I'm doing this. But then in terms of how I got the book deal and how I laid it out, wrote it, I'm going to tell it as like kind of one story, which is um, for a while I was lived in Brooklyn. I was a music publicist and I started freelance writing about music. Then I got an offer to go on tour the band as a merch guy. And I did that for a couple months and I quit my job in Brooklyn and moved back in with my parents in my small town in Connecticut. And then uh, coming out of that, it was like, oh, so now you live with your parents. You're 26 or something and you have no job like this is what a good look that is kind of thing. And I understand it's more common now, but it certainly wasn't like what an inspiring period of my life. But because I had lived with my parents didn't really have bills, it was like, I'm going to try to freelance write as much as I did. So there's probably a two year window in my life where I was publishing, whether it's an interview or an album review or something about a guitar or whatever, like once a week, four or five times a month. And it was a little bit of money. It certainly wasn't, if I didn't live with my parents, it's hard to imagine it have been livable, but it was like, for not having any bills, it'd be like, oh, I want to buy this. It'd be like, well, I better sell a couple things this week. And I somehow pulled it off and then racked up a bunch of debt from XYZ, uh, more or less a car accident having to fly out for a wedding. And I'm not trying to knock the wedding. It was more just kind of like, all of a sudden I owe several thousand dollars. This is not what I wanted for not having a job. Uh, then I had to get a day job. And when that happened, writing took a back seat. So I more or less stopped freelance writing for about a year, I would do a couple interviews. And then in that year, at the end of that year, I get an email one day and it's just kind of like from an editor I had at Substream Magazine, which is an alternative rock magazine that like, and when I say alternative, I don't mean like 90s Chili Peppers, uh, Pearl Jam. I mean like 2010s Warp Tour kind of alternative, modern alternative in the, the uh, major labels rock sense. Uh, and it's like, I still wrote there. I'm still a respectable magazine. And the email from an editor, and it's not even the editor I had. It's like that editor left, and it's a different editor. And it's like, hey, this person emailed me and was like, can I have Dan Bogosian's contact? I gave him your contact, but I wanted to give you the heads up. And I'm like, oh, like, thanks. And another person emailed me like, hey, this person asked for my your contact information. Can I give it to him? And I was like, I think they already have it. But like, yeah, you can give it if they, they're still asking. And then I Googled that person's name, and it's the assistant – this literary agent and I'm like literary agent and I googled that literary agent and then I look at the things he's done and it was like it's like you know they it's a literary agent they represent a bunch of authors that have written books I'm like I'll bet you this guy's gonna hit me up about writing a book and then I'm I'm spending like a day or two like what's what book would they hit me up about why would I be the guy to write a book like I'm not saying I couldn't but like surely anything I'm qualified to write about there are other also other people who are qualified to write about it and uh, one of the books on like the most recent release was, was a different book in the FAQ series. And I was like, I bet you he's going to hit me up about doing an FAQ on some band. I hope it's the Chili Peppers because the other bands that hit me up, like I, if they offer me Incubus, I'd be like, I love that band as well. Not as much as the Chili Peppers, but probably like in terms of high school me, high school me second favorite band in terms of right now, probably more like seventh or something. But it's still like, I love that band. I still would write a book about them. But Chili Peppers were like that gold zone of like, even if I haven't listened to them in four months, like 
if you start talking about melancholy mechanics, I'm there. I know what we're talking about. I can sing that song, even though it's off the twister soundtrack. Uh, so I'm like, maybe they're going to hit me up about a chili peppers book. And then like a day later, I get an email that's like from the literary agent. And he's like, Hey Dan, would you be interested in writing a book on the red hot chili peppers? Let me know. I'm like whatever, best that guy. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, okay, it's not high paying. Just to let you know. Uh, and like he lays out the basic cost, but like it's going to be for the FAQ series. We have to write a book proposal. I'll work with you on that. Are you still interested in giving the pay? And I was like, yes. And he's like, okay, it's a lot of commitment. You know, it's a lot of words for not that much money. I'm like, sir, like I've said yes twice. I, I mean it. Like, thank you for your caution. Throw caution in the wind. I'm, I'm in. Let's let's do this. And uh, so he's like, all right, I'll call you tomorrow at like five. And so it was literally like I think the last interview I've done where I drove to Boston for a, an interview with the band Rat Boys. And I'm like sitting in my car after I drive two hours to Boston and just like sitting my phone like, all right, he's going to call me at five. It's like 4.45. I'll just unnap in my car seat for 15 minutes until I have a, a parking spot in a hard to park in city. And then he called and we spent 20, 30 minutes on the phone. And it was more like, yeah, so like, let's do a book proposal. And uh, I, I think you can do this. And then, honestly, the hardest part was the book proposal, at least having never done one. I'm sure if I do a book proposal now, having some experience doing it, it's more navigable experience. But the first time it's kind of just like, yeah, you have to argue why the book should be published, even though you know that this publisher already wants to publish this book. It's like, well, that's kind of a weird <laughs> We're like, you want to write a book on this band, and this is why you should want to write a book on this band. Like, that's weird. And then you spend a couple pages explaining why you're the guy to write the book on the band, where it's like, sir. No one else is the Chili Peppers guy. I am the Chili Peppers guy. And you're not as casual as that, but it's more or less like an, a college argumentative essay of just like, I, Dan Bogosian, am the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> I am the Red Hot Chili Peppers. This man, Ben, is not the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I am the Red Hot Chili And it's just this insane thing. And I could probably even send that to you if you want. You'd probably just get a good laugh. Like, this is what a book proposal it looks like. And I'd be like, that's what my book proposal looks like. And then you have to write an outline of the book. You don't have to stick to the outline. But you have to write an outline of the book in a sample chapter. And I'll go on record and say my sample chapter was not great. And they they shat all over it, which did not make me feel very good. Uh, but I can send it to you. And I, I would love to even hear you guess which cha- chapter I used as a sample chapter. Because you'd probably be like, oh, I thought it was fine. And I, I look at it from writing. I tried to polish it up and rewrite it a little bit after they criticized it. And then when you write the full book, it's like, well, you shouldn't leave that as the, the thing they said it was. If they called it a piece of crap, you should make it less crappy. That's mm, I'm sad about that. Uh, but so you do a sample chapter and outline it and then submit it. And then you, you submit it when you, I give it to my literary agent. He submits it to the editor. And then he comes back with the editor's comment and says, we need to do this and that. And then he submit it again. And then they go, OK, we'll do it. Here's here's a check. And it goes to the literary agent. And then he takes his commission and gives me another check. And then a particularly part, weird part of that was I'm in America, you're in UK. Uh, my literary agent is in Canada. So they get an American check set to Canada, deposit, and then he sends me a Canadian check to America, and I have to find a bank that accepts a Canadian check. And they give you half before and half after. And uh, it really didn't feel real until the day I handed it in because the whole time you're, it's, it was like writing a picture, writing a five page essay for college every week, except instead of going to class. It was just the red hot chili peppers. And it's like, oh, what's your assignment? And it's like, well, look, let me look at the syllabus I wrote in July. 
when I, I give that book proposal and you change a couple of things, you're like, oh, that chapter is actually not going to work. There's probably two or three that broke away from my book proposal. But in terms of like, how'd you lay it all out? It's like, yeah, that month that I wrote the 25 page book proposal, that was the hard part because that was where you're going. How is how do I make sense of this? How do I cover every guitarist? You know, and they're like, literally like it doesn't have to be chronological. And you're like, well, if I don't do it chronological, how am I going to make sense of like martial law and Eric Marshall? Like, how do I mention that and not make it myself look like an ass? And then you're like, okay, so, and so I came up with like, so like you guys are in, did your own bands. I know you started your own band before COVID. I'm going to say that's still a band, your own real thing. I've been in plenty of bands. I play keyboard in a band now. I'm doing my own project where I play my own every instrument and everything. And it's still just like, whatever, we're all musicians. And I'm like, I bet you're a good portion of uh, Chili Peppers fans are musicians. So musicianship part, that's not going to be for everybody. My parents would not care about Flea's bass pedal at a certain point in time. And when he stopped using the ODB3 and whatever, like they don't care about the mini baseballs pedal, but I do. So that like one third of the book, and we'll just give everybody who's noteworthy a chapter. And I don't mean to insult the people who won't, weren't noteworthy. I would have loved to give Jack Sherman a chapter. There's no records on an interview with Jack Sherman. And I highly doubt, even though I could have messaged him on Facebook, I just couldn't foresee a world where Jack Sherman would be like, ah, yes, in 1984, my distortion pedal was this. But in 1985, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? He was a nice guy, but that information is gone. Yes. I, uh, and if it's out there, I was not the guy to find it with apologies to the men who are. Uh, so I try to do the respectable thing and cover everybody in their um, a certain amount of noteworthiness in their history. Um, Hillel Slovak was the hardest. I'll just say that because he's dead and there's not a lot of information on it, but it's hard to, you can't cover Dave Navarro, Josh Klinghoffer and John Frusciante and then just be like, eh, about Hillel. Like, no, he, Hillel was the, like the OG Chili Peppers guitarist. So you had to, but it was tough because of that. And then it was like, well, then what about the non-musician side? We'll do one third to like the cultural aspect. And then even that, that was the one where I had to change like two or three chapters. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what they were. I know the one that was uh, breaking the girl was in the original proposal. And I know uh, funky crime was the original proposal because I very much went in. Like it wasn't just like, Oh, let's knock them dead. But it's like, how could I pretend to write an objective book and not at least give a little bit of words on how Anthony Kiedis has not the best history with women and like mm, all of them have kind of at least a little bit murky history with the law. Like we got to at least cover those. And then, then when I sing fleas, high praises, it can't, it won't be like, what about when he, when he was arrested for that? It's like, no, I acknowledge that it's, it happened. It's true. Also, he's my God and bass guitar. It's fine. Um, and then the rest was like, so how do you fit Eric Marshall and Xander Schloss and Australia and Japan and John Quinning and rejoining and all those things into it? It was like, from there out, we're going to do chronological and some chapters are going to be less eventful than others. And some of them are going to be like, I'm only going to do 2,200 words on the Stadium Arcadium chapter, but there's like, there's so many songs and there's songs that aren't on the album. And then like, the, what about the infighting before it and how it played and the tour, it's the tour is the same. And it's just like, Dude, you get, it's a chapter. It can be a long chapter, but it's when they say a five to seven page essay, don't hand in 25 pages. And it's just, that's the way it played out. There's, I'm sure you can see like the, uh, like the Uplift Mofo party plan chapter. I'll say this too. My deadline was before the producer of that album, Michael Beinhorn, released a book. You know, my, my Flea history chapter was pro edited prior to Flea's autobiography coming out. 
those are the two big things. But like, yes, I would have loved to have gone in further detail about Flea's childhood. The juicy information wasn't there when I had to hand it in. And then even uh, it's always going to. I guess I, not that you've asked this. <laughs> Say again. I think that's always going to be the case as you're recording, as you're recording, as you're writing or researching a project and then releasing. If you've got a release date, things are then going to happen, which give more context to what you're writing about. And you're lucky if those yeah. things come before the before the published date, and you're just a bit unlucky if stuff comes out afterwards, and you just have to roll with the punches, I suppose. Yeah, the unluckiest thing for me was Josh leaving and John rejoining because that was that was about. Uh, 15 months after my due date and uh it's literally like december like it's arbitrary but it's like i think uh the day of that post was a sunday and it was like december 16th i want to say it, it was, might be the sunday it was a sunday. Sunday. sunday it was a sunday though i remember yeah. being yes. in this chair on my phone being like no and like you go online and then like Mar- marble snow is on there like this is a prank like why would it only be there and then it's like on flea's instagram and it's just like Dude, it ain't a prank, man. Like nobody's like you hacked more than one account. You know what I mean? Like, but I just remember that like the two hours of like all of us sitting in our chair. Yes. It was a Sunday in December. I was in this very chair that I'm recording with well, you guys in. I they released it. They released it like a prank. That was the, the way they yeah, did it. It wasn't a press release on a weekday. It was just like an Instagram post with a generic like Facebook background. Yeah. Like, we love you, Josh. See you later. John, welcome back, my that man. It like, seemed crazy. <laughs> I, I was laid in bed trying to get an early night for work on Monday, just checking the you know the last check on what's going on. Well, hang on, this looks like bollocks. Yeah, I but. looked at it and then just <laughs> I, I read it, put my phone down, carried on doing what I was doing. I, I think I even, then contacted you, didn't I? Gave, I well, you, yeah, a few minutes later you said, have you seen it? And I was like, yeah, I've seen it, but I'm not, I'm not overly concerned by it because it can't, you know, it's just not real. I... I had the opposite reaction where like I wasn't prominently on Instagram at that exact moment. It's like you sign in and then it's like, it knows you want to see it, but it's like, it wasn't quite an hour, but let's say it was like 49 minutes ago. And it was like, you know, Josh Klinghoffer is not in the red hot chili peppers and John Bruchante's back. And I'm like 49 minutes, like people online are talking about this. And I just went straight to Twitter and it's like Marbell and RHBC session. Like everybody's like talking about it. And I'm like, I don't know, man, I think this is real. Cause like, I, for me, like, and a part of it was a 49, 50 minute thing where it's like, I remember when Death Cab for Cutie got hacked and was posting pornography. Like, yeah, there was a good 20, 30 minutes there, but like, it doesn't take you an hour to delete the spam prank post that like, by the time I saw it, it was like, sir, this is real. And then Flea posted it and it was like, dude, this is real. But going back to the book, it was like literally that Friday my editor at the publisher, Backbeat Books, books sent me like, this is the PDF of the final. Make sure the layout's okay. If you want to re-read and make sure all the typos are good, whatever, like this is your last chance. And I'm like, this looks good. I didn't email like, this is good. It's like, you have till January 15th. And I'm like, this looks great. I'll reread it once briefly, but I'm certainly not going to comb over every word. I've done that already. And then it's like 48 hours later, it's like, John Vershante's in the band. And I'm like, the last chapter of this book is my predictions for the future, let alone me saying like, when this book comes out, it's already a turd now. And so I emailed them like the next day, like, Hey, don't know if you saw this or care, but like the current guitarist in this band is no longer the current guitarist in this band. I really would like to rewrite the last two chapters and edit like the timeline chapter because it's now false. It's immediately out of date. And they were like, no, can't do it. And I was like, sir, 
I can't like read the last chapter and know that the name Josh Klinghoffer is not in this band anymore. Like it's a turd. Like I have to, you have to let me. And they were like, okay, fine. You can rewrite the last two chapters and you can edit the, uh, the timeline chapter, but it has to match the same lines. So like I could write a new paragraph, but it's ending on the same line. It wasn't the same words. Like the original thing and just side by side being like, that's not really where it ends, but that's where it ends right now. New, new paragraph. I'm just like, so if you want to criticize the last chapter, dude, I feel you. That was not my best work, but that was me rewriting things and making it. It's like I had to change my crossword puzzle answers and make them fit in the boxes and use different words. And it was just like anyone who looks at it and doesn't like, even if you want to be like, it's not the best writing. If you look at that last chapter and just it seems legible, I'm like. We pulled it off, baby. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that we were going to talk. That we were going to ask you about when do you, when are you happy to pull the trigger? When are you happy that you've combed through it? When are you happy that all the facts are right? And then such a thing happens, and you have to rewrite chapters to line level detail. That's it's insane. <laughs> that's an incredible revelation that it, that you'd have to do it that way. I can't, I, I, I can't believe it. But you, you, yeah. you know, I, I think you pulled it off pretty nicely. I really, I'm very grateful for that because honestly, it's not like I was thinking about you guys directly. If anything, I was probably more thinking about Hamish, uh, especially since he was helping me out. I'm like, oh, don't let that poor guy down. I don't want him to read that and be like, I helped him out and this is what he, I wanted to be like, not the Holy Bible, but just like, at least and be like, we got it. We did it yeah. kind of thing. Well, yeah. I have to say, uh, I have to say, Dan, that hurts that you weren't directly thinking about us during that high pressure period of your life. Have you started the podcast yet? <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so we let you um, off. We let you off for not thinking about us because you've never even heard of us. But equally, <laughs> yeah. you know, what what we have found with the podcast is it's been a great time to be doing something like this and, and be relatively uh, new to it. Although we've been doing it for a while, but the John, you know, the whole Josh leaving and John coming back has, has just been a catalyst for people coming back to the chilies maybe, or yeah. people researching stuff surrounding the chilies. So I think with the book as well, that's it, you know, it can only have been a, you know, uh, drawn more people towards it. Yes. Yeah. I'll agree with that. And it was, you know, it's, and it wasn't personally offensive to me. It was just funny in terms of like, I can just like going back to like what the times it felt like I should give up. Like, again, like the middle four or five months of writing that book when you don't see the end's not in sight and the beginning's not in sight either. It's one thing when it's like, it's like you're right, running a marathon. It's not like at mile one, you're like 25 miles to go. And even if you are, you're kind of like, all right, like this is our pace. Let's do this. It's around like mile 14, 15 that you're like, what do you mean there's still 11 miles left? And that's what the, the one do you want to give up on the book? Uh, somewhere around word 60,000 where it's like, oh, I basically just wrote a novel just a little bit past halfway. Oh, oh that's when you want to give up. And then scrambling to rewrite those chapters and make it fit line by line. was like, yeah, at least it was the last thing, but it was still just like, dude, you got to be kidding me on this. And then the other third big moment in the intro of the book, like I did, I thanked my friend Tara. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could like bring her in to get interviewed for this because the craziest I've ever felt and definitely the craziest I've ever seen. She was the only person to see me where about a week or two before the book was due. I want to say it was two weeks before the book were due, that it's like, all right, I got like two chapters left. Let's do this. And I emailed the editor like, hey, just let you know, I'm going to meet that deadline. Got like one, two chapters left for like 14 days. 
I'm not going to be the guy that's late. I'm going to be the guy that's on time. But if there's anything about like formatting that I need to do for you, like, let me know. Cause I've just written it like it's a book. And they're like, Oh, we never sent you the formatting guidelines. And I'm like, no, like then they sent me the formatting guidelines and the more or less it's, it was more or less written in HTML where it's like the bold's got to be, you know, the whatever less or greater than sign or less than sign, whatever it is and B and then the other sign. And then the talc's got to do that with the I. And then there's like a centering in the chapter things and like, whatever. So it's like, it wasn't hard to figure out, but it was just like, I wrote it and it would have been nice to every week have written it in that style. And instead it was just kind of like, let's reread this book and do it. Now we're getting all the chapters and headers correct. And then now we're getting all the bold correct. And now we're getting all the italics correct. And then the worst one was the last day, last two days. Uh, I don't know if you know, how well do you guys know your dashes in the English language? <laughs> oh, are we talking about uh, dashes or hyphens? Yeah, so a hyphen is a dash. And within the dash world, there's an M dash, which is the long one. If you use Microsoft Word, you type a word, use a dash, and then you use space, and it gets longer. That's an M dash. And then the dash that you use for an aside is an N dash, where you're like, so I was talking to universally speaking guys, N dash, Ben and Sam, M dash. That's an N dash. Um, and so then in the formatting guide, it's like dashes and hyphens, dash, N dash, dash, dash. And the M dash is dash, dash, dash. And I'm like, I can't find and replace this. I have to go through every single dash in this book. And then you just control F and it's like dash. And it's like 1,956 dashes. And I'm like, oh no. And it's like do Wednesday and it's like Monday night. And it's just like, all right, like Tuesday, 9 a.m. Like dash. Oh, that's dash. That's dash, dash. And you replace it with dash, dash. The next one's like, oh, that's, that's dash, 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 dash. And it's just like, Dude, how you been today? And it's like, I don't want to talk about dashes right now. And people are like, well, I, I didn't ask you about dashes. And so I I knew the day I would do. It's like I spent a 12-hour workday on a Tuesday and then like four hours of my Wednesday just replacing dashes line by line in that entire book. And I emailed it in like, don't want to see that shit for fucking six months or something. And then I saw – I went over my friend Tara. She was dog-sitting and we watched a movie – and it was just one of those things where it's like you're in that state of deliriousness where everything is funny. It was like a dog that she was dog sitting punched me in the balls twice in both times. I like couldn't breathe from laughing for like six minutes. It wasn't like painful. It was just like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I was just delirious. And she was just, you know, four feet away from me looking at me like, do I need to put him in a straitjacket? Like what's going on over on that side of the couch? And yeah, that's why she deserved that special thanks because she was the one person who, when I'm there, like M dashes are the big ones and N dashes mean the aside. And I don't, why would I ever have used a hyphen when a semicolon could work in those places? And I wouldn't have had her. She's just there like, yep, he's my friend. It's a lovely, I think it's a love. And it's a lovely uh, thank you in the book who loved to Tara, who loved me when I wasn't worth loving. Okay, so after a brief hiatus where Dan had a a block wide power cut, uh, we are back the next day to continue talking about Dan Bogosian's book. Universal, universally speaking, <laughs> <laughs> it's it. That's what, that's what we call it. Red hot chili peppers frequently ask questions. So. Um, 
Dan, I've got a bit of a question about, I can't remember if we covered this off yesterday. Um, stop me if we did. Just about the, the art design, the choosing of the front cover, the layout of the photos. How's all that done when you're, when you're putting the book together? Uh, we did not cover that yesterday. And uh, so the photos, they gave us, they gave me a photo budget and we had to like discretionary spend it to pay for all of it. And um, the rest, it's kind of like, you contact someone and you're like, Hey man, like I don't have a lot of money for these photos, but like, that's a great photo of them in socks on Cox, like would 25 bucks be okay. And then the exceptions that are uh, like published media. So like the album covers that's like, it's, I mean, it's copyrighted, but like you're allowed to print it because it's the album cover. And then same with like their posters. So like that fight, like a brave poster or the photos of my posters it's kind of like, oh, like, why'd you take the photo then? It's like, because we needed 60 photos and I have six posters or what have you. Um, but then the layout, um, I told them what chapters and what general area to go. Like, you know, like an insert photo here. But in terms of like text in the, the like upper left and the middle and down and then the photo in the top right. I didn't choose that. That was the thing when I got the final print to approve. They're like, how does this look? And I'm like, and great. You know, I'm it the but for sure, the hard part was, uh, I mean, other than the going insane with the M dashes and N dashes, like I talked about, is like, yeah, go ahead. Try to find 60 photos of the chili peppers. It's particularly hard right now because, uh, I mean, hope maybe it will, it will go back to being easier. But when they were represented by Q Prime, I don't know if you've been following that saga, uh, they had a photo waiver. So in order to live photograph them, even if it's at Lollapalooza or something, you sign a photo that, uh, or a yeah, photo waiver that's like, I'm not going to sell these to anyone without your permission. I'm not going to print these other than to this one outlet that you've given me permission to. And so like the photo might be in Rolling Stone and I can contact the Rolling Stone photographer and they'll be like, nope, got to talk to Q Prime. And then Q Prime kind of gave me the runaround where like eight months before the book was due, I'm like, hey, I know there's a photo waiver. I'm going to need to use photos. Like, can I have permission or can you connect me with some approved photos that I can buy? I didn't respond. And I follow up like once a month. And then when there was like a, a month or two left, it was like, all right, we're going to follow up like once or twice a week. And then like probably a week before the book would do, it was kind of just like, no, you don't have our approval. Sorry about that, man. And I'm like, you couldn't have told me that in like January. Like it had to come down to the final week. And so it was a scramble. And then the good mo the majority of the budget was spent on like, uh, I want to say Getty images where it's like, Oh, well, we can just buy one of those photos. And I'm like, great. H half the book's photo budget went to 10 Getty image photos. But yeah, it was, uh, if it seemed like I used a lot of uh, covers of singles and albums, because I needed 60 photos and those were things that I was not going to get sued for using. Nice. I can just imagine the meetings at Q Prime that they were having every day. <laughs> should, should, we, should we let uh, Dan McGoshen who sees? No. <laughs> No, but don't tell him yet. Don't tell him yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was more like someone's assistant being like, okay, I'm going to ask my boss. And I'm just being like, hey, boss, like, can we do this? He's like, uh, I'm not going to answer that right now. It's not my problem. And just like for months. <laughs> and then one day the assistant has to write the email back. I'm just being like, go, go fuck yourself, man. And I'm just yeah. there like, why couldn't you have told me that months ago? No, I like to think that your, your, your import in the Red Hot Chili Peppers world is such that it was at CEO level every day. <laughs> yeah. Top of the agenda. <laughs> yeah, I would love to think that they're personally aghast with what I was doing. <laughs> now, question I have is: it's a bit of a 
it's not a strange question to ask an author. How do you do an index? Oh, God. Okay, that actually is a good question because you can hire someone to do it, but they don't give you the budget. So, like, typically they say that would be like $1,000, and I could have removed $1,000 from what I made and then paid somebody to do it. But uh, I don't want to be too transparent, but I'll just say – that's a good percentage of the amount of money I was paid in total. Uh, it's less than half. I'll tell you that, but I don't want to get too far into it. But the idea is just like, <laughs> it, it wasn't like I was paid $30,000 and then, Oh, well, I can spend one thirtieth. It was like, that's like a lot of the money I just got paid. Like, or you can do it yourself. And it's like, okay, but you can't do it yourself until they give you the final print because the page numbers are going to change. It's not the same. Like I could send you the word document, or I have all the sourcing, like you might read some contrary information, particularly about like the exact time John left. This is a sidetrack, but going back to Hamish, like uh, he published the newsletter when he started, it was the first or second one that was like, this is the timeline of John leaving. This is what we knew. This is new information. And this is extra information. And I was like, really wish you published that like a month before the book came out, man. Like, you know what I mean? But instead it was like, well, start with what I could source not, there's maybe more information now that brings some of it into question. But if anyone's like, this is crap, I can, I wrote a, before they gave me the formatting guidelines, I told you I got those. I just sourced everything with footnotes. So it's just like every paragraph when you're like, where did you find that? I can be like this interview with this person from 1997. Like I have a source for it. Um, but then going back to the index. So when you hand the book in, you just give an alphabetical list of every pronoun you, you use. So the day before I did the going insane with dashes was just like, let's find every capitalized word in this book and you write them all down and then you reread a little bit and you go, Oh, I guess, yeah, that's a town. I should include that even though, you know, and like it becomes this insane exercise. And then I hand it in. I'm like, this won't be so bad when it comes, comes around. And then truthfully, again, I, I believe I told you the date was, January 15th that it was due for me to do the Josh Kling offered out of the band rewrites. Uh, I also had to do the index in that time. And in that time I was like, I told my day job, I'm like, I'm gonna take Monday off work. I might need Tuesday too, but I think it'll only be Monday. And it's just like Monday, you wake up at eight and you work nine to five. I, where's this in the book? And you control F in the PDF. And then I write it down in the other thing. Like it's something redundant that anyone could do. A trained monkey could do it, but I, I did it. And uh, I, it, it took two days. I did take that Tuesday off. Cause it was like, I did like a through M and I'm like, Oh, I can, I can get breakfast. And it's just 6 PM. I'm like, all right, we're not going to work tomorrow. We're going to finish this tomorrow. And I'm handing it in Wednesday. And that's how it played out. But, uh, it's it's certainly not even like a highly trained skill. It's like me with my my a word file and a PDF file side by side, control F and just you know, man hours of, of plunging mining words. Mm. It's a comprehensive index. I can see why it took that long. And for anyone who doesn't know, a pronoun is a professional noun, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Thank you, Ben. Uh, so <laughs> let's move on then. I think we've covered the book pretty extensively. Dan, is there any kind of incidental bits and pieces that we haven't talked about that you want to that you want to do you want to bring to the the fabulous forum? Uh, no, honestly, the stuff that people don't ask about are the the things that I just told you with like the the M dash L and and the in the index because most people will be like, 
oh, did you get to interview with them? And it's like, no. And it's like, oh, okay. And it's like, but yeah, I mean, even if I did, like, how would it say I did get an hour with John and an hour with Fleet and an hour with AK? I wrote 110,000 words. Most of the book wouldn't come from my one interview. Like, and I didn't get to interview them. I hope one day to, but just like, that's what most people ask about. And then most people will be similar to what you started asking where it's like, how'd you get to write a book? And I think they mean it not even like in a good for you way. They kind of mean like, how can I write a book? And it's like, well, I don't know how, like, this is the weird way I got a literary agent. And then nobody asks like index. <laughs> if I take anything from this, it will be about index and M dashes. Right, and I now know that you need to save an extra thousand pounds to get someone else to do the index. Exactly. As yeah. simple as that. <laughs> yeah. When they offer you three thousand pounds, give up a third of it right off the bat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so a little bit about the band then, Dan. What would you say uh kind of off the top of your head, what's your what's your favorite album? Or your top three albums? Oh, I mean, Blood Sugar Sex Magic is number one. I know that's way too typical in a sense. I almost feel bad about it where uh, I worked in FM rock radio for a couple of years. And one of the DJs there was this guy, Nervous Rex. And he'd always be like, um, my favorite band is Queen. And my favorite album was this Deep Cut. And another guy, well, Deep Cut. It was not uh, Night at the Opera. It was Day at the Races. And I was always like interesting like you went for the second thing not the number one thing and another guy would be like my favorite band pearl jam and sorry my favorite album's 10 and i'd be like that's cool man like my favorite band's the red eye chili peppers and my my favorite album's blood sugar sex magic i would love to i would love to be like freestyling it's like oh that's a good one but like if i'm like waking up to the brother's cup every morning that's just not happening no, no. Well, we, I think we're pretty bog standard, aren't we? Mine's blood sugar as well. So, um, yeah, and I, I kind of alternate between blood sugar and, and by the way, yeah. So, we're uh, not, we're not, none of us are out there. And, and ten is Pearl Jam's best album. Ten, ten, ten is my favorite Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah, well, album, my so. ten is Pearl Jam's best album, but my favorite Pearl Jam album is Vitology. Uh, okay. I like when yeah, bands yeah. go weird. Yeah, I yeah, remember. Yeah. yeah, when it wasn't ten. It was a bit of a shock at the time. I'm just going to grab a bit. Yeah, okay. I have actually seen Pearl Jam quite a lot because I've, although I was never a big Pearl Jam fan, um, my brother-in-law is. And oh, so have. over the years, we've we've seen them probably like 10 or 12 times. Oh, I mean, I'm like, I'm jealous of that because similar to Chili Peppers, they're one of the few like big major label mainstream rock acts that don't do like this tour, this is the set. I mean, like, Pearl yeah. Jam more so than the Chili Peppers. Chili Peppers is the same basic outline. They'll swap five or six out of the 16 songs they play. But, like, yeah. Pearl Jam, it's just kind of like, oh, I want to see him play Better Man. And it's like, well, catch him next year because they didn't do it this time around. Like, oh, like, yeah. oh. And I, I respect yeah. that, especially out of, you know, as musicians, I know the singer, we talked about that thing, but it's just like, uh, to me, the ultimate, this is such a side tangent, but I guess we're talking about 90s alternative bands. The ultimate live act is Fugazi, and it's not even like they're the best live band ever. But if you have you ever read, are you into Fugazi, or do you know how they did their set list? No, we've had a debate about how you say the name. That, but that's as far as it goes. <laughs> oh, it's uh, Fugazi is how you say it, uh, and I, it stands. It's a military term. You may remember if you've ever seen Saving uh, Private Ryan. Fugazi. It's a war term for fucked up, got ambushed, zipped in. Uh, oh, so yeah, if you're, like, yeah. you're in a body bag, you're like a surprise attack. Now everything, I was Saturday, Saturday was Fugazi. Like it's just, you got, everything was fucked up. Uh, but 
Fugazi, how they did it was uh, Ian McKay, which I used to say is Ian McKay. You want to say the way I, I, he was the first interview I ever did. And he's like, Hey, it's Ian McKay. And I was like, Oh, glad I didn't speak first. Um, so Ian McKay and uh, who's the other guy that sings guy, Guy, not guy, Guy Picciotto. I can't, his last name sounds like a Pokemon, not Italian to me. Uh, but so Guy Picciotto, the two guitarist vocalists, uh, they would just bounce between songs by the two of them. And when one of them's doing the first song, like it would start with Ian and Ian will just start playing his riff. And everybody just knows that song. And in the middle of that song, Guy would look at the drummer and just tell him what song's next. Wow. And then they would just get in like that song ends. They just go to the next one. There's no plan. It's not written out. The set list is improvised as they're playing it every night. And I'm like, that is a band that must have been so tight. Yeah. Well, that's the way to do it. If you, if you can. Yeah. And I don't think anyone else really can, but just like terms no. of chili peppers, Anthony carefully plans out the set and writes it out for all of them. Like, that's great. It would be a lot cooler if Flea was just like, we're doing airplane. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, that would be cool. But Anthony can't remember the words of the songs that he knows he's going to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know you were talking about uh, like scar tissue uh, when Anthony had long hair. It doesn't count. It didn't happen. Principle of your worldview along with flat earth and uh, the moon landing didn't happen. Uh, but one of my favorite concerts, you may have seen me tweet about it. Like my favorite Chili Peppers concert I guess every concert, but I, I haven't you know, give it another 15 years. I'll see a bunch more. Uh, Buenos Aires, 99 red hot chili peppers. And like, that's the era of like scar tissue and he's got the long hair. And then John doesn't even take a guitar solo on it where I'm like, you know, this is not my favorite scar tissue. Every other song. I'm like, this is peak performance, but then scar tissue but plays the rhythm part. I'm like, sure. That's a thing you can do playing live. All right, John. Uh, but it's the same thing where like, I forget they leave for the encore and they come or they leave and they come back to the encore and he comes back with le- the lyric sheets. And I'm just like, do you think no one's going to see you like reading? I like dirt as you do it. Like we can all see you have a lyric book. And it's just funny where it's like, like if he needs it, I wish he would do it every night. And then if we let's, if that's what he needs to do deep cuts, man, I'll print, I'll give him the paper to do it. Yeah, yeah. Axel Rose was an early adopter on the user illusion tools uh, when he had auto auto cues that were kind of <laughs> hidden hidden away but in boxes. Yeah. But because the stage was so big, he had about thirty auto cues all over the place. Well, yeah, he, and still, he, he still never does. stands still, does he? I was going to say it's probably easier for him to do it now because they have three guitarists and there's like twelve people in the band because it's the classic lineup, but it's the classic lineup. And the new lineup is just hidden behind them where it's like, uh, you really need the three pianists and the, the three guitarists. Yeah. Do you but, still need Ziggy? What's he called? Ziggy? Ziggy, what's his face? Uh, oh, um, no. Uh, oh, Izzy, Teddy. Uh, no, Teddy. Izzy Stradlin. That would be the classic lineup. That, yeah, Izzy, who's the guy who plays the piano? Dizzy. Dizzy Reed. Yeah, Dizzy yeah, Reed. Oh, yeah, Dizzy yeah. Reed. Dizzy Reed. And then you yeah. have Teddy, Teddy Zigzag, who Teddy. plays the harmonica on Bad Obsession. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, that was another band that we were supposed to see this summer and oh, didn't man. get to see. Two I'm sure they're not going away. You know what I mean? Like their thirst yeah. for money without new music will remain another will five remain years. forever. It's yeah. insatiable. <laughs> well, and we uh, we of course had Anna and myself. My wife had Pearl Jam twice in a week in Germany, which we lost. So that uh, was a blow. It's it's yeah. funny to me because like America just has a bunch of different states. Obviously, Europe, all the countries are closer, which is also 
in the defense of how Americans never learn a second language, it's kind of like, well, yeah, if all of Europe spoke English, everybody would just know English. But there it's like, oh, Spain's like a three hour drive. And, and like me, like, like I got to drive 28 hours if I want to get to Mexico, guys. I'm not going to learn Spanish. <laughs> it doesn't make them less of an arrogant thing, but it's just the same thing where like you say, like we were going to see Pearl Jam twice in Germany. My instinct is to be like, man, I would love to see Pearl Jam in a different country. And I'm like, man, that'd be like that'd be like me going to New York. Like I, I do that. I do that all the time. It's not Germany. Exactly. The distances are crazy. I think there's a, there's a saying where America, British people think a hundred miles is a long way and Americans think a hundred years is a long time. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty good. America's the new Coke of countries. I'm just going to say off the top of your head. What would you say you, you kind of top three songs are? Songs? Yeah. Not in the whole world. Let, let me ask you this top three as in best or top three as in favorite or both, but do them separately. Yeah. Both, but do them separately. Yeah. Okay. Well then favorite I'll do, I can probably rattle that off real quick. Number one, aeroplane. Number two, around the world. Number three, Yertle the turtle. Or if we want to count live Yertle trilogy, number one, then two and three going, going down. I'm a sucker. For I'm a sucker for Yertle trilogy. Like people could be like, it's just not even that great. And I'm like, yeah, but some about that atomic dog and just putting a Minutemen song and Funkadelic in there. I, I'm just a sucker for it. It just gets me. Nice. Uh, but then best is the one where I'm like, okay, number one, best under the bridge, two and three. Can I call you tomorrow? Like, I got to think about that. There's a clear cut number one. And then. Ah. Uh, yeah, I, to be honest, off the top of my head, I'm not sure I could do it. I think with Under the Bridge, it's like, you know, it, you you kind of hesitate to say it because it's like the Blood Sugar Sex answer. But Under the Bridge is such a great song. It's just, yeah. a, it's just a perfect piece of songwriting. But yours would be scar tissue. Yeah, well, yes, it would be. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. so now, that, now that you say that, I, I feel I'm going to put, uh, no, I'm not going to put scar tissue in my top three. Damn. Number one Under the Bridge. Number one under the bridge. Number two, I'm going to put Don't Forget Me. And number three, I'm going to put Other Side, which I was going to, number four is Scar Tissue. But I feel like I have only one Californication melodic song can be in my, can meddle in the situation. That yeah, is strong, strong choice. I think the last episode I did state that Don't Forget Me was probably my favorite song. And I think I will stick with that. It was yeah. the album version or the live, live versions. Well, in that, they would both be number one and two. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so. which, which live version would be number one? Give me the exact date. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The date and time. Yeah. Well, it's probably um, that when we covered, no, Alcatraz. I think Alcatraz, Alcatraz is really good, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Alcatraz so, is yeah. really good. Slane Cash yeah. is really good, too. It's yeah. funny because I remember like that same scar tissue guy discussion you guys were having on, I think it was the off the map part one episode. Maybe it was part two. It's been a while since I watched the DVD. I was totally watching it. Like the way I watched it in high school and every night and fell asleep when I was writing the book, it was kind of just like the final two months were like, what are you doing this weekend? Like red hot chili peppers. I'm watching the DVDs. I'm listening to the music. I'm about the band. Like, okay, we're not friends right now. And I'm just kind of off in my deep world. Uh, but like, uh, the way you feel about scar tissue of like peak John uh, versus like, I forget how you phrased it, but it's just like the, like John in development or whatever it is when it's like proto John, I think is how you say it. Uh, I prefer like late proto John to peak John. 
his peak John, when he starts like just shredding on scar tissue, I'm like, it's, it's good. It's mighty be great, but it's just like, I prefer when it was like, he, he was like on the verge of doing it, but still holding back a little bit. As opposed to like, no holds barred, let's show him that I'm, I'm on the cover of Guitar World in your face. And I feel the same way with uh, Don't Forget Me. So when it's like the By The Way Tour, Don't Forget Me's, I'm like, yeah, man, like, you, you can do this. You can shred. You're about it. And then Stadium Arcadium, it starts to be like, okay, like, you really like playing fast triplets. And that's, that's, that's great. Uh, yeah, and like, I, I mean, to go music theory about it, he often does this in, I, I guess, any song sometimes. He'll, like, do one triplet figure, and he'll just do it the whole time. And, like, that's great. But it's just funny to me, like, when he's reading the YouTube comments and people are like, that man can shred. I'm like, no, that's the easiest thing in the first <laughs> yeah, thing you that's I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I, I wish I could just, like, go to the YouTube guys at, like, some 13-year-old kid's house and be like, here's a guitar. Here's how you do that. That's it. That's yeah. what he just yeah, did for 30 it, seconds. You, you <laughs> yeah. can do it. T- two minutes later, yeah. you'll be able to do it. Well, see, it is the tried and, tra- tried and tested triplets, and it's his default fallback, isn't it? If he's, you know, you can think, while he's, while he's improvising, if he's, he just falls back on that so often. And yeah. it's fine, but it's not. Well, it's tried and it's an effective trick. Well, he, yeah. does, he, does it, <laughs> he does it similarly in studio versions sometimes too, but I think when he does it in studio, it's like perfect because what he does is I've been telling somebody I've been teaching guitar lessons to this too, where it's like you learn one lick and then you play it slightly differently a couple times. And so even like the studio, don't forget me, obviously that lick is like, Honestly, anyone can play it in their first guitar lessons. Like, nah, 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 nah. But the rhythm changes like three times. And it's only slightly, but it's just like that as an idea, as an outline is like, oh, it's, you think it's the same. And then around the 30th time you listen to it, you're like, wait, wait a minute. And the example I love going to is the Torture Me guitar solo. Because it's like, it sounds like he's just playing wild stuff the whole time. And it's really just three licks across two octaves with slightly different rhythms but it sounds virtuoso godlike and then you learn it and you're like this is all a lie (laughs) yes that's it you 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 peel back the curtain yeah pay no attention can you peel peel a curtain curtain? yeah i think you can you can peel an onion yes if you you can peel an onion you can peel a curtain yeah (laughs) (laughs) here we go just gonna peel these Okay, so let's <laughs> let's uh, close down. We we were recording yesterday on Halloween, yes. and I saw that Dan had put a tweet out about watching the thing, and which is one of the great is possibly the greatest film pr- practical effects wise ever made. If you haven't seen the thing, go and watch the thing. I've never seen the thing. <laughs> You've never seen the thing. I've I've seen a copy of the thing. My copy of the thing. Yeah. It's also got one of the best ever documentaries, uh, the making of documentary. Dan, you need to dig that out and have a rewatch of that. That's, that's yeah, funny. I, I have remember, seen the making of the thing. I, re- I remember, like you're saying, it's the best practical effects movie. I remember them talking about how they get the head to fall down. Spoiler, uh, heads fall. Yeah. I'm yeah. going <laughs> to say which head. Thirty-five years old. Because I remember even one, like the first time you see it, you're like, that's aged incredibly well. Like sometimes, like there's one or two shots that are claymation or something where you're like, no, I don't yeah, know that, does, that doesn't hold up so well in 2020. And then there's other times where it's like, a dude's head just fell off. Like that wasn't CG. How did they make a head fall off? And it's like, yeah, it's uh, 
the eighties were tough. They they nailed it sometimes. <laughs> Rob Rob Boutin lived on the set for a year and just slept on the set and. After he'd fit, Rob, Rob Botine was the guy who did the practical effects, the maker. Uh, right. And how long did it take to make? Uh, well, quite a long time, mm. at least a year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, and when it, when it finished, he was admitted to hospital for exhaustion. But yeah, the practical effects are brilliant. Anything that Rob Botine's involved in is great. It does. I don't like the ending when it turns into, as you say, a bit of stop motion and it's not. Not so good. Yeah. Well, but, okay. so I don't, I don't, I don't like the effects of the ending. But part of why that I like the tweet in reference. Uh, I said it was my all-time number one best and favorite horror movie uh, is because the nature of that ending, I'm not going to go over it plot-wise given that one of us hasn't seen it. <laughs> to be honest, I'm probably not going to watch it. <laughs> you I probably would have done by now. Well, I expect when this interview ends that he's going to go whip out that DVD and you're going to watch the film and then watch the making of and then watch the movie with the commentary on. That's my you expectation. Oh. You haven't heard my top five. The, the comment, honestly, the commentary is great as well. Carpenter and uh, Kurt Russell are sat just pouring out whiskey and drinking whiskey. You can hear the ice cream. Yeah. Uh, all all of Don Carpenter's commentaries are funny because he's the type of guy to, instead of being like, oh, this was a tough shot, he's kind of just like, if you look closely, the boom's on the top left. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, John Carpenter. Another one worth listening to is the They Live commentary that he does because uh, uh, Rowdy Woody Piper's on it, and that man can talk for whatever country he came from. America, presumably. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what? So we thought we'd do our top five horror films ever. Yeah, and I will just say I'm not a fan of horror. My top five, <laughs> though, I think does pretty much cover what you would you know you would think of as classic horror films okay and horror is a broad spectrum as well so Good. we'll start with our number oh, i've got six written here this is tricky okay we'll start with our number fives then we'll all do our number fours and then we'll all climax together on the number one <laughs> okay uh, i have uh, hold on let me look at this for a second because i have i can do my top five as well i have a like a document file where i have my ranked top 10 horror movies on hand oh right fine let's do your top 10 then and, uh, are and you want the full ten, or you want to just you, go around fives? You do your top. You you do the the you do 10. 10, 10 to the six, and then we'll okay. join in for the top. I'll I'll join in for, from six because I've got six on my list. <laughs> okay, so uh, Dan. ten, cabin in the woods. Okay, nine, nine. The shirt you were wearing yesterday, The Shining. Cool film. Seen it. I'll just say whether I've seen them. Okay, <laughs> you haven't seen you haven't seen the cabin in the woods. I haven't. It, it's on Netflix. It's a great film. Can find it. Uh, a, I feel weird about putting this above The Shining, but that's what I have saved. So if you want to judge it, I'm looking at it now and I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, judge me. Uh, the Mist. That's a great film. Seen it? Have you seen the color version or the black and white version? Hmm. Hmm. I've seen the, 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 I've seen the remake. No, or no, have no. You seen, no. You're thinking of the fog. Bad. Thinking of the you're fog. thinking of the fog. Never confuse yeah. Mist and Fog. The Mist. So if it's not clear based on even what I just said about the thing, what I love most in horror movies is when it ends in a way where everyone is still horrified. What an ending. Yeah, The Mist is like all-time number one most fucked up ending to a movie. And there's it goes on too long. It's a flawed film. But it's in my greatness list because the ending of that movie is like, wow, that's messed up. Yeah, it's a hell of an um, ending. Okay. So then, then seven, A Quiet Place. Yeah, good film. Saw that in theaters. Right. Haven't seen it. <laughs> so that's cinema. You haven't seen it quite. Well, those, has it got? Who's in it? Um, uh, John Krasinski and Emily. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt yeah. Y- yes. 
I haven't seen the film, but I did see an advert for it on the television just yesterday. Well done. Mm. Does that count? I think it does. That does. You've seen, <laughs> seen it now. <laughs> okay, what, what number are we get? Is this now your number six? Uh, yes, the next one is number six. Okay, so you give your number six, and I'll give my number six. Number six, Get Out. Yes, good film. Ah, I've seen that. Good film. And my number six is The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing. Okay, I'm glad, I, I'm, glad I'm, I'm glad we did this so that I could hear it ranked. Yeah, it's just slipped in there. Okay, Sam. Uh, Sam yes. So now, Sam, you do your number five, then Dan, and then me. I think this counts as a horror film. Alien. Yes, it does. Oh, yeah, that counts. Yeah, great. Uh, my, my number five is The Exorcist. Oh, okay. I watched that a couple of weeks ago. Rewatched that a couple of weeks ago. What a film. Yeah, I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sam, oh, dear me. I do own it, I think, though. I do, I do actually own a copy of it on DVD, but I've never watched it. You own the version <laughs> that was released, the 25th anniversary edition, with the spider yeah. walking. I've got it in the garage. I could watch it yeah. tonight. You won't. No. Okay, my number six <laughs> is the 1970s version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers with uh, Jeff Goldblum and uh, Leonard Nimoyan. That is... It, that is a great horror movie, and it's funny because I, be- I feel like our top fives are going to be the same movies, just in slightly different order. <laughs> okay. Okay, so now, one, two, three. Okay, now, Samuel. Number four. This is, again, I, I would say less of a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best horror film list. Okay. Uh, look, I haven't seen that many horror films. So this is about as horror as I get. I don't want to say it now. Say it out loud. <laughs> you it. I'm going to say it. The Green Mile. That's not a horror movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a great it's movie. Decidedly sure. not horror. It's uh, got, my it's number got, four. Yeah, go my number four was his number five. It's Alien. That's why I'm like, Alien ah, definitely counts. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, my number four is Alien. <laughs> I wonder who the odd man out here is. <laughs> Sam, Sam, is your number three going to be Paddington too? No, my number three is, uh, and I don't even really like this film. I was struggling for films, and my wife suggested it. Tremors. Oh, that's, oh, that's, that, that, that's a push that we could call that a, a horror. It's horror adjacent. Some of it's, it's horrifying. Well, I would call it horror. It's just um, there's like two kinds of horror. There's like the dumb horror and there's like the serious horror. And that's like right. the dumb horror side. And I would still say that's horror. You know, Kevin yeah. Bacon running away from sandworms. That, that's horror. Fantastic. And the people who did the practical effects on that was uh, Woodruff and Gillis, who did the, who came up on Aliens and then did Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. Hang on. Can you stop saying stuff about my films? The, the <laughs> effects on that film were done by Woodruff and Gillis. That's correct. And they worked on Alien and Aliens. No. They started on Aliens, Understand Winston, then opened up their own company. Yeah, that's what I said. Anyway, so what, what did you just say? Tremors. Okay, fair enough. Dan. That was, that was number three, right? Yeah. yeah. My number three is Rosemary's Baby. That yeah. is a, I mean, it is a sensational film. So much so, so my, <laughs> so my number three, this sounds like a lie, but it, my number three is Rosemary's Baby. Fine. Have you seen Rosemary's Baby? I've seen a DB, I've, no. <laughs> honestly, honestly, mate, it is, it, it's, you know, it's good enough to be number three on two lists. 
Well, I mean, if, uh, what I could now do is just name some of the films that you've already named as my two and one. But it I'm would be stick, a safe choice. <laughs> I'm going to stick with my original uh, list. Okay, go for it. What's your number uh, two? Number two. Now, this is definitely a classic horror film. Ghost. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> ghost is... Well, that's more horror than a ghost. <laughs> shouting. <laughs> um, and oh, yeah, enough, the bits where those dark shadows come and they take, take away Carl. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Carl. See, see what I, I'm not. This is not on my list, but a friend and I have long discussed uh, the actual greatest horror movie of all time is Fifty First Dates because if you think about the concept of it, it is horrifying. A woman can't remember things, yet her family allows her to get pregnant with Adam Sandler's kids multiple times, and every day she wakes up and watches a VHS cassette where it's just like, "You love that guy. You have babies." Like, can you imagine being eight and a half months pregnant and waking up and being like, what happened? And then your dad's like, yeah, Adam Sandler went to town. Like, what? it's not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> but that is not in my, that is not in my top two. Uh, my number two, my number two is 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, that's high. That's great. I can't believe you two have, have done this to me behind my back. I'm <laughs> on the same list. Yeah. Well, his... <laughs> Maybe DM. He, he, yeah, the, his last two aren't going to match up with mine because everything's already been named by him yeah, now. My number one's it. the thing. Spoiler. So, spoiler alert. Let's put a little noise there. <laughs> okay, my number two film is a film I saw in the bargain bin at, at Safeways, as it was. My word. Yeah, it might be Morrison's. Hmm. Um, and I didn't pick it up, and it was. I went in. Do I should I get this? Should I not? about 10 times in the end i picked it up watched it it's another one of those classic endings like you were you were talking about dan with uh with the mist what is it it's night of the living dead mm. george a romero's oh, yeah. night of the living dead um i it, it, the film finished and i just sat there and could not just for 10 minutes just sat there couldn't move couldn't move <laughs> paralyzed <laughs> i'm not gonna watch that film <laughs> <laughs> although actually i have seen some of it with you because you did used to watch it a lot i did yes is that good? Okay, so what could be Sam's, you know, traditional horror film? Now, this is, this is not Sam. your archetypal horror, horror no, movie. I can, yeah, no, but it is what you think is the greatest horror film. Yes, this is the greatest horror film of all time. I've gone for Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, do you know why? Uh, yes, I do know why. Yes. Because of Sid's toys. Sid's toys. They are horrifying. Fair yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you were Sid as a child. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's just like going back in time for me. So there's my list. I think you'll you'll agree. It's um, and what a list of horror films it was. <laughs> it really was. Damn, give me a sense. I wish you named a non-horror movie that I hadn't seen. So you'd be like, oh, my number one's like The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I'd be like, wow, I guess I really do have to see. That's the one David Fincher film <laughs> no, I have Yeah, seen. that's what I should have done. No, honestly, don't bother watching that film. No, I've got that on Blu-ray in the garage. It's another, another <laughs> bit. Don't watch it. It's, it's extremely long now. But it's the um, one. It's the one David Fincher movie I haven't seen. So I feel like I have to yeah, see. Well, it. you definitely should watch it once, and then <laughs> you won't watch it again. Yeah, that's that's going to be twenty dollars well spent on that Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> What's the number, oh, my one, number then? one's the thing? Oh, oh, yeah. Of course, my it number is. one's the my number one's the thing. Like we talked about, it's no surprise there. And uh, my number one is. The original version, none of this Nicolas Cage remake bollocks, the original Ooh. version of The Wicker Man. 
which is another film with an ending so shocking that uh, it, that everything. Uh, wait, it's it's actually the Wicker Man is in my top three films ever made. Well, I've just been just, completely vindicated. The Wicker because not yeah. only have I seen it, I introduced you to yes, that. Yes, you did. You did. Oh, you did. Wow. I watched it with you for the first so, time. I've basically, you're a true horror film fan. Uh, yeah. If anyone is listening to this and they have not seen, can't the, believe I put it in my list. <laughs> yeah. Go and watch The Wicker Man if, if people haven't seen it. It's, uh, yeah. it's tremendous. And then watch the remake for uh, relief. Uh, yeah, and then gouge your eyes out. Uh, uh, the remake is funny. It's like, uh, the bees! No, <laughs> not the bees! <laughs> My favorite is uh, how to get burned! How to get burned! <laughs> Oh, I great. say that to coworkers when they don't know what I'm I'm talking about. I'm like, hey, where'd you move this? Like, what are you talking about? Where'd you move this? Like, I don't move what? Like, How did you get burned? Great times, great great times at work. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Dan, do you want to um, do you want to let people know how they can contact you if you want people to contact you? How they can buy your book? Um, and, uh, yeah, sh- give a shout out for that information because as we've said repeatedly, we highly recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, sure. My, my email address is, uh, on, available on my website, but it is just my first name spelled Daniel. And then my last name at gmail.com, as you guys discovered when we were emailing, um, online everywhere and social media wise, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, not that you want to stalk me on all of them. But uh, it's just D.L. Bogosian. I'm not going to spell my last name because that's half the fun of how struggling to sound it out is. Why don't you guess how I how I spell it? But, uh, <laughs> I still, I'm still not sure how to say it. <laughs> I came in. I came in today. I came in today, and he said, "He said this is it, this is it, isn't it?" And I was like, "No, that's not it at all." <laughs> I, well, I when just... you said it at the beginning. I was like, he remembered. That's very good. That was a day apart. He's got it down. Yeah, I, wrote it down. I wrote it down, Dan. I wrote two words. I wrote bog and then the word ocean. So I can say bog ocean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so is that – did we get there, Dan? Did, we, did you give out your details? Yeah, well, and then the, the book you can just find on Barnes & Noble and Amazon and everything. It's not hard to find. It, yeah. You know. And uh, – if you want to contact University Speaking the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast, you can do that. Um, we're hosted at bentownsendmusic.net. Uh, you can email me on bentownsendmusic at hotmail.com. On Twitter, I'm Unispeak. Am I? Mm, I'm yes, at UniversallyRHCP on Twitter. Mm. Sam, what are you on Twitter? <laughs> I am at Stack Townsend. And presumably on Reddit, I'm Unispeak hyphen RHCP podcast. And I am RHCP Odd Sam. No, you're not. You're universally RHCP Odd Sam. That's right. That's it. That's the one. And should you want to, should you want to see? That's why my my handle on everything is the same thing. On Reddit, if you search that name, that's me, man. Yeah. On Twitter, like, it's me. I got them all. We're good. I I must admit, I thought I was going to be right then. And uh, <laughs> if you want to see pictures of us holding various things in front of our faces or me wearing some really nice leggings, oh, yeah. then go to Instagram, <laughs> universally speaking, RHCP underscore pod. Great. We have been universally speaking. Dan, you have been. I've been Dan Bogosian, and uh, America is the new Coke of countries. And this has been an utter pleasure. It really has. And uh, yeah, write another book, Dan, and come back on the show. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll have to write that Incubus book and then come back on the Chili Lovely. Peppers podcast. Oh, yeah, I did. Sorry, one thing I did want to say is we went to see... <laughs> I wanted to say it like that. Um, we I went to see Pearl Jam in uh, the Netherlands, and we stayed yeah. in a hotel. And Incubus stayed in the same hotel. Came down for breakfast in the morning, and they and there they were. And they're one of my favourite bands too. So uh, that was amazing. Oh, that's so I rad! Just, I've, yeah. I so I haven't interviewed any of the Chili Peppers yet, but I've interviewed Brandon Boyd twice. Once on the phone, and then once face to face, and it was a video interview, and. That's probably the funniest interview I've ever done where he has kind of like naturally comedic timing where it wasn't like I was setting him up for jokes, but he made like a dad joke. And then we both turned to the camera at the same time. And it wasn't like we planned it out. I'll try to find the the link and send it to you. But it was just one of things like, it's only like a seven or eight minute interview, but there's one moment where it seems like we were a comedy duo. And it was just like, no, we both just love stupid dad jokes. Nice. Nice. When was that? That was the tour that Deftones opened for them and Death from Above 1979. So that was 2015, I want to say. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. I mean, if you can find, send me the link, I'd love to see that. I'm confident I can find it because every now and then. You uh, watch it. Well, I mean, yes, I do. But what it is, is like, I'll be on the website that published it. You click an Incubus article and it's like, you should also watch this. And then I get to see my own face on the image. And I'm like, well, I guess this is the time to rewatch that. Yeah. Uh, It's not like I'm like, huh, November 1st, I'm pretty lonely. Let's look at that time (laughs) I shaved into a creepy mustache and interviewed Brandon Boyd. (laughs) Nice. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's such a good thing. I'll definitely check that out. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Yeah, it's been great talking to you guys. Sometimes I feel like I don't have a partner Sometimes I feel like my only friend Is the city I live in The city of angels Lonely as I am Together we cry